Welcome to the Score Podcast. A hard worker, deeply intelligent, passion for public policy and helping people, gets results that improve people's lives. These are just some of the words used to describe our guest today, and they don't come from just anyone, but from U.S. Senator Charles Schumer. Who is it I'm speaking of? Well, stay tuned. I'm Jeff Richardson, host of The Score Podcast, where we always speak to the most influential leaders in the marketplace. Joining me today is Phil Goldfeder, who since March has been CEO of the American Fintech Council, a leading association representing responsible fintech companies, creating critical access to safe and affordable financial services. Its members include a who's who of fintech lenders, including Upstart, SoFi, Lending Club, Prosper, and many others, many others that use VantageGore, I should add. The mission of the American Fintech Council is to promote an innovative, responsible, inclusive, customer-centric financial system. Despite now operating mostly out of D.C., Phil is a New Yorker. He served as Senior Vice President of Global Public Affairs at Cross River, which is a financial institution and technology infrastructure provider. But he previously served as an elected member of the New York State Assembly, representing diverse neighborhoods in Queens, New York, where he happens to be today. And before that, served as Senior Advisor to Chuck Schumer and New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg. Phil, thank you for joining the podcast today. My greatest pleasure, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. Well, so let's start with this question, and it's kind of broad. The term fintech is kind of ubiquitous these days. You could argue that Chase and Goldman are even fintechs. How do you define what a fintech is and what sets your members apart? I think that's really the perfect question to start with and to set the table because it's one of the biggest responsibilities uh, the American Fintech Council has as an association trying to represent the best actors within the fintech ecosystem is to bifurcate the various verticals and then even within those verticals, the various models that companies employ. Our job is to, number one, understand what the verticals are and understand sort of how do you define what the best standards are, and then take all of that information and try and distill it in a way that we could present it to state regulators, to members of Congress. And so your question is really a perfect one as you think about kind of biggest banks in the country or, or some of the more traditional banks that nowadays like to call themselves fintech companies or, or fintech enabled, it's really our job to kind of figure out uh, what that definition is and, and, and how it should be defined. I mean, the challenge we have is that when you go to state regulators and policymakers, they sometimes look at things like cryptocurrency. And cryptocurrency is fintech, and that's the level of knowledge and expansiveness that they look at fintech. And we obviously understand, as, as the American Fintech Council, represent companies in the earned wage access space, the buy now, pay later space, uh, the debt consolidation space, online lenders, credit scoring agencies. And so it's critically important that we're able to not only talk about the various actors and the various verticals, but the actors sort of within those verticals. And so we spend a lot of time talking not just about people who want to say they're fintech, but what are they actually doing? What kind of services are they providing? And are they reaching their intended targets in, in a safe way without compromising on regulatory compliance? And so, you know, when you look at, at the companies we represent and, and some of the ones that you mentioned, these are, are companies that are creating access to financial services that traditionally have been lost over the last number of years. And, and I would argue post Great Recession in 2008, where 
some of the bigger banks in the country started to de-risk and to exit uh, local communities, particularly minority and, and rural communities all across the country. And that's kind of where fintech stepped in. And so I often joke that, you know, the fintech companies were in fintech long before fintech was sexy. And what I mean by that is the traditional banks are only now recognizing that the fintech companies are servicing the consumers that they long left behind are now trying to to circle back and and try and expand some of the services they're offering and calling themselves fintech. And, And quite frankly, I wouldn't associate them and or recognize some of the companies or some of the bigger banks as, as fintech companies, even though they are trying to create innovation, it's really critical to recognize the companies who were entrepreneurial and who stepped up when so many of the big banks kind of stepped back to serve the American consumers who needed access to financial services. And that has continued to grow. Fintech was probably born in 2008, 2010, like I said, post-recession with some of the earliest companies, Lending Club and Prosper, two companies that sort of stepped up to lend when big banks were, were de-risking. And then obviously the, the technology continued to grow and, and to continue to find new ways to serve those consumers. And so I think that, you know, your question is really a good one is sort of the core of who the American Fintech Council is and what our job is to do is to, number one, define the verticals of fintech. Number two is uh, define the actors. And number three is to bifurcate those who are acting responsibly, who believe in a standard, and unfortunately, those who are not, who utilize technology to actually prey on consumers. And so it's it's a big part of what we do at the American FinTech Council. And and obviously, we spend a lot of time with policymakers, with regulators to try and and really tell that story of where where true FinTech companies have stepped in fill the void, but do it in a way that uh, does not compromise on regulatory compliance or consumer protection. It's such an interesting point you made because threaded in there is also kind of the importance of competition and how fintech companies created competition in a market where previously there wasn't one, but but now uh, everybody's trying to, to chase after those markets and the early adopters certainly have a leg up. So it's a good transition to to this next question as you you closed there. Where is fintech heading and how do you balance the need to innovate and and leverage things like AI and and new data sets, but also the need to preserve competition and safeguards and things like fair lending? The American Fintech Council was lucky enough to host a director, Rohit Chopra, um, at the Fintech Nexus conference back in, in May and have a conversation about the balance of, of regulatory compliance, innovation, competition. And I think a lot of what uh, the director said resonated with a lot of our members and a lot of the fintech community is that we want to encourage competition. Oftentimes in business, you hear about the stickiness of the customer, right? You know, businesses want to make sure that they uh, have a certain amount of stickiness with that consumer so they can offer additional safe products that that consumer may need. But that shouldn't be because it's difficult for the consumer to change. It should be because that company is offering just a a superior product. And so when you're offering a superior product, your consumer is naturally going to to stay. The idea of innovation, it shouldn't happen within a bubble. There needs to be the competition. And I think that's really what you're seeing. I mean, you're obviously seeing competition amongst fintech companies. But more importantly, you're seeing the traditional legacy players of financial services recognize the challenge they're getting from the fintech space. I think many argued, you know, sort of in the 2011, 2012, 2013, 
that fintech was a passing fad and, and it wasn't going to last. And, and you didn't see much change in the way the legacy financial service providers were operating or acting or treating their consumers. Whereas now, fast forward 10 years later, is you're seeing that all the time. You're seeing traditional credit card servicers, you're seeing uh, traditional banks really evolving their entire business model to meet the demands. And as an example, you're seeing it in the buy now, pay later space, where traditional credit cards are now offering more buy now, pay later options. You're seeing it in the earned wage access space, where traditional payroll providers are now looking for ways to integrate earned wage access. Um, and obviously in the payments ecosystem as well, and, and in the credit scoring ecosystem, right? You're seeing a lot of traditional companies recognize that the innovators are taking market share and they need to evolve. The question is, is whether they can evolve. We talk about this, it's become such a, a tremendous cliche, but it's like turning a battleship, right? For these legacy companies that have been around for you know 50 years, 100 years, 200 years, to automatically change their business model, uh, adjust on a dime to try and meet what these innovative companies are doing are very, very difficult. And here's, here's the hardest part, because even if they're able to, to match what those companies are doing, they're way behind. You take a look at our member, a company like Affirm that has a, a, a transparent, affordable credit options with no fees, complete transparency to the consumer. And you're seeing a lot of legacy players trying to meet sort of the consumer that Affirm is already serving. By the time those companies catch up and, and a firm is, is sort of well onto their next product or their next innovation, and that's very, very exciting. And so I think, you know, obviously there's competition within the fintech ecosystem, but what we're seeing is legacy players are being forced to adjust. And, and that's a good thing, right? It's a good thing because ultimately the consumer is going to get a better product. And that's really what this is all about. Because I, I think too often times we talk about fintech in the abstract. But when you think about the number of consumers that the AFC membership is servicing today, we're talking about tens of millions of consumers that are being served right now with fintech products that are safe, that are transparent, that are reliable, that are affordable. And so it took time, but I think the, the larger financial services ecosystem are taking notice and they're adjusting. That being said, is, is the competition is good. Consumers are going to get a, a better product. And, and I think the biggest challenge from the AFC's perspective is the regulatory modernization needs to follow that as well. And so, again, going back to, to buy now, pay later, buy now, pay later, is it considered a loan or is it not considered a loan? If it's a loan, that requires that triggers a certain amount of transparency and disclosures which protect the consumer. On the flip side, when you have earned wage access companies, is that a loan, right? And, and earned wage access companies like Pay Active and Daily Pay will tell you, and the AFC agrees, that you're getting access to funds that you've already earned. And so that's not actually a loan. That's just giving you the money that you've already earned. And so the competition is fantastic because it's creating financial options for the consumers. It's pushing back against some of the legacy players and the stranglehold that they had on, on the consumer. It encourages sort of the sharing. And, and again, with the help of, of regulators and the CFPB, will we'll hopefully encourage the sharing of, of information but most importantly, I think it's critical that, that the regulatory modernization happens at the same pace at the financial technology innovation. Really interesting. And it strikes me that all those things considered, the role that you have can be quite complex. You're clearly a passionate advocate for the fintech industry that, that comes through so effortlessly. And, and you're a political expert yourself. You were in the, the New York uh, State Assembly. So how do you navigate 
the sometimes polarizing political environment in D.C. and elsewhere. And then, I guess I don't envy this either, you have to manage state-specific policy issues, knowing that what happens in one state often gets replicated. I spent the, the first half of my career in public service. I spent more than 15 years. I've been now on the fintech side of the world for the last seven years. And, and you know, there, there's at some point a, a time where I'll be more, and hopefully I'll be more on the fintech side than I will have been on the public service side. But I think the merging of my career paths, I think really provides a tremendous benefit to AFC and to the larger fintech ecosystem, because I bring a unique insight into the way that policymakers and regulators are thinking about new policies. The biggest challenge for any member, elected member of Congress or a member of a state legislator is that there's a lot of issues that they have to listen to and hear about. Education reform, uh, gun reform, traffic safety. You know, there, there's literally on any given day, there was dozens of issues that, that members are briefed on and memos that have to be read. And when you think of fintech and, and financial services, that's just one vertical. And so the challenge of, of getting our point across is very, very large. But not only getting our point across, right, because it's not just about being in their mind, it's now understanding and, and figuring out the best ways to create actionable items. What new regulatory structures need to be put in place? What new legislation needs to be drafted and, and pushed through? And so it's easy to dismiss Washington and say the polarization of, of politics nowadays makes it impossible to get anything done. And the answer is, is that what we try to do at AFC is inject some pragmatic common sense into the conversation in, and look for ways where there's clear middle ground. An example is, is what we're doing by providing access to credit. You at Advantage Score talk all about of looking at a, a alternative models and, and, and rethinking older systems to create innovation and inclusion and give consumers access to more credit options. And so this is exactly what we're trying to do. Everybody agrees. Everybody on the right, everybody on the left, all agree that providing consumers with access to fair and safe financial services is critical. And so we use that as a mechanism not to show the abstract what we could do if we had innovation. It's quite the opposite. AFC membership, as I mentioned earlier, is already today serving millions and millions of consumers all across the country. And so how do we make that safer? How do we make that fairer? How do we make those consumers have additional access is something that everybody agrees with. And I, you know, again, it's not easy, but it's what myself and the staff at the American FinTech Council do every single day, engaging with those policymakers and regulators to be number one, top of mind. And number two, talk about the pragmatic things that could be done to make consumers have quicker, safer access to their financial services. On the flip side, right, the, the idea that, well, if Washington's not going to do anything, the states will step up and they'll do something and they'll start to, to their state regulators or state attorneys general or state legislators will start to look for ways to regulate. And that creates a whole different set of challenges, as you mentioned, right? It creates a, a patchwork of, of regulatory compliance that's put in place, which is very, very tricky for our membership and the entire fintech ecosystem. And so it's a big part of our work. It's not simple, but we spend a lot of time in the states where you kind of get that similar rhetoric like, oh, you know, nothing ever happens in government. But, you know, again, when you engage and you educate in the right way, you're actually able to get things done. The timing for this conversation is, is key. Just a few weeks ago, we had the first in the nation state legislative bill that was passed to create uh, guardrails for the earned wage access industry. 
was passed in the Nevada state legislature and signed by the, the governor of Nevada. And that is going to create the first in the nation guardrails for earned wage access. I think the idea that we're actually promoting standards is a great first step. And going back to your question is, yeah, I think other states are going to pick that up now. Would it be easier if Washington created and and D.C. would create a, a single standard? Absolutely. And we are working very, very hard towards creating that. But in the absence of that, we'll we'll work with with anybody who is going to work with us. Super interesting, especially kind of the point that there is work getting done in D.C. and in, in the state houses, and we all need to engage. One organization in D.C. that I happen to be a board member of, as you know, is the Credit Builders Alliance. A press release caught uh, my attention. The American Fintech Council announced a partnership with Credit Builders. So can you speak to that a little bit? It would be amazing if we could do everything ourselves and get and get the job done. But, you know, you can only really get things done, particularly in the government sphere, is when you build partnerships and collaborations and you work together with like-minded uh, organizations and, and partners who, who share the same vision. The Credit Builders Alliance, as you know, is an association or a, a group of, of national non-for-profits that sole purpose is to create access to financial services and, and create opportunities for people who may be unbanked or underbanked or not have a credit score, get access and get opportunities or get put into the right programs um, that will give them those tools to build a, a safe and reliable credit future. The American Fintech Council shares that exact mission and where there may have once been a time where everything was manual today, a lot of our members are able to work with the credit building, the not-for-profit credit building universe to create programs or create opportunities or products that can now be safely put into the hands of consumers who don't have the credit access or, or the credit scores or the credit history and, and help people as a pathway out of, out of debt. And, and I'll use a good example is, is the beauty of, of a company like a firm in the buy now, pay later space is that you know it's a transparent product you understand what you're getting but but here's the best part is that it's reported to the credit they work with the credit bureaus and so if someone is able to use this this product like i said transparent product they're actually able to build their credit score same thing with companies like upstart or upgrade these are all products that share a similar vision as the credit builders alliance and and it's an exciting partnership and and we're excited not just in the partnership because we don't believe in in just partnership for the sake of partnership. We believe in, in partnership to find pragmatic ways that our members at the American FinTech Council can help the vast membership of uh, the Credit Builders Alliance. And, and as you know, Jeff, DARA is a powerhouse. And so for me to get to work with DARA and find new ways to, to bridge the gap between the fintech ecosystem and, and some of the local non-for-profits across the country is, is really, really exciting. And just inject some innovation into, you know, potentially an area that that really could use it to help consumers who need the help. Absolutely. And and for listeners, Phil mentioned Dara Duguay. There's a Q&A with Dara on our website that we'll make sure to flag in the comments. Let's end it there, Phil. Thank you for being the guest on the SCORE podcast. Really appreciate your time. My greatest pleasure, Jeff. Thank you for everything you're doing for you and, and for the entire company Advantage SCORE. Thank you so much. There's a statistic on the American Fintech Council's website that caught my eye. 
It was from the Chicago and Philadelphia Federal Reserve, and researchers found that 25% of their members' companies' loans were concentrated in the 10% of communities with the fewest bank branches per capita, which, as you would imagine, are disproportionately low income. What they quoted was this, the analysis points to the possibility that fintech lenders can provide credit in areas that may be underserved by traditional banks. This is an example of a topic we discuss on the podcast a lot and and a topic that Phil just described. Companies can do well by doing good. If you identify the areas for growth and innovate to better cater their needs instead of vice versa, which the financial industry has historically done, you can really succeed. I'm Jeff Richardson, and I look forward to our next discussion. Views and opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of VantageScore Solutions. Visit VantageScore.com to learn more.